The book of Ephesians, still in chapter 1, I'm going to be sharing verses 7 through 10 with you this morning. The title of my message is, is We Are Redeemed. And we just this is just our second week in this study. Last week, if you remember, all I got through was really was the, the greeting, part of the greeting went through the first six verses. But we learned last week that we're saints in Christ by the grace of God, according to the will of God. That we're to bless God because God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and all the resources of heaven are available to us through Jesus Christ to live out the Christian life. And then thirdly, that in spite of our sin, according to the pleasure of God's good will, He called us to be saved. According to the pleasure of His good will, not that we deserved it, not that we could earn it, not that we could buy it, but according to the pleasure of God's good will, He calls those of us that are saved to be saved. This morning we're going to be talking about redemption. If you have your Bibles with you, and if you're physically able, if you'd stand out of reverence to God's Word, please. I'm going to share verses 7-10. through 10. This is again the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus some 2,000 years ago, but talking to the church at Victory today. He writes, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in Him. May God bless us by the reading, the hearing, but most especially the doing of His Word. You may be seated. Four things I want to talk about, hopefully fairly quickly this morning. I try to go a little bit more quicker if I go do four points as opposed to three. But this morning we're going to talk about what is, we're going to ask the question, what is redemption? We're going to ask the question, who needs redemption? We're going to ask the question, how do we get redemption? And then finally, we're going to see the results of redemption. Well, first of all, what is redemption? Some of y'all might remember, some of you ladies that are couponers, you may, if you can read that really fine print on your coupons, you see the word redeemed there. Can be redeemed for one twentieth of the cash value or something like that. Now I'm dating myself here, but if you're as old as me or older, you may remember as a kid seeing the advertisements on the, on the back of the cereal boxes that if you, if you collect six box tops, you can redeem them for this or that or the other. I remember when I was a kid, I got four box, five box tops, and I redeemed them for membership in the Monkees Fan Club. Man, I got, got, I got all you know, the little certificate. Didn't get a decoder ring, though. I guess they quit doing that stuff by the time that rolled around. But at any rate, redemption means, if you will, means paying for something or trading one thing to get something else. Now, there, there are two Greek words here that, that are used as Paul talks about redemption uh, throughout uh, the New Testament. One, and I, and I know I'm not pronouncing these correctly, uh, the are two Greek words. The first is... Uh, uh, Aphemi, A-P-H-I-E-M-I, which means to be sent away. It's a, a legal, it indicates a legal repayment, cancellation of a debt, or the granting of a pardon. Then another word that goes along with it, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this one right, is Latruo, L-U-T-R-O-O with the long doohickey sign, whatever they call that in English, over the last O. So I know it ends with an O. 
But the meaning of that is the paying of a ransom in order to release a person from bondage, especially from slavery. That's redemption. Biblical redemption is a pardon from sin. Talks about the, the first word, it indicates legal repayment or the granting of a pardon. The biblical definition of redemption is the pardon of sin. Well, some may ask, well, what is sin? Sin is breaking God's holy law. Sin is anything, you know, we used to think probably when we were, when we were younger, sin was doing something we knew we shouldn't be doing. But what did Jesus say in the New Testament? You know, Jesus said it's written, if you commit adultery, all this, this that, and the other, you know, you're guilty and, and you're going to be killed and all this stuff. But Jesus said, I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, that you've committed adultery. So when we were younger, we used to think that it was just doing bad things. But as we come to Christ, and hopefully as we grow in Christ, we grow to learn that, that, that sin isn't just the action, sin's the thought that starts the action. If you think about it, every action that's occurred started out with a thought. If I were to commit adultery, it didn't start with the act. It started because I saw somebody walking down the road and I'm thinking, you know what? She looks good. I don't care about the, 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 the vows I made to my wife. She, she looks good and I'm going to pursue her. If somebody robs from a bank, the sin didn't come when they busted into that bank. The sin started when they started, they, they started being greedy and thinking, I want what's in there. And they started making plans to, to get what was in there. So, so sin is the breaking of the law of a holy God. And actually it's an archery term. It's an old Hebrew archery term which means missing the mark. And in archery, especially back in those days, you had one bullseye and either you hit it or you sinned. You either hit the bullseye or you didn't hit the bullseye. If you hit the bullseye, you won. If you missed it, you sinned. And the same thing is true in, in, in God's dichotomy, if you will. Sin is missing God's mark. Redemption is the pardon for people for missing God's mark. The people says that, that I'm sorry, the Bible says that people outside of Christ are enslaved by sin. In other words, they're owned by sin. They can't keep themselves from doing it. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor, aren't there lost people that do a lot of that, that do good things? Well, yeah, on the outside they look good, but you've heard me say this before. Even if outside of Christ, if we're doing something good, 99.9% .9 of the time we're doing it out of selfish motives. When when you ask, you know, whenever some of these rich people are interviewed and they're asked, well, 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 why did you give 20 million? Bill Gates, why did you give 20 million dollars? I think he's dead now, though, isn't he? Isn't he the one that just who was the one, the big computer was that died a couple years ago? Oh, Jobs, okay. Those computer guys all look alike to me, so, I, you know. But, you know, they asked, well, Bill Gates, why did you give $30 million to this charity or whatever? And the answer more than likely will be, because it makes me feel good. Okay, well, the minute you throw me in there, guess what? The selfish motives. He didn't give just to give to help the, comp the, the, the charity out. He gave because it made him feel good for doing it. So, so really, even outside of Christ, when we, do bad th when we do good things, they're done with prideful, selfish motives. So if they're done with prideful, selfish motives, it, 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 it's sin. And the Bible says again, outside of Christ, people are enslaved to sin. They're owned by it. They can't keep themselves from doing it. 
It's like, you know, our, our, our kids when they're, when they're little, you know, and we tell them, don't touch that stove, you're going to get burnt. But what always ultimately happens, they keep giving it that until they finally, and then they're screaming and yelling, it's hot! Well, I told you. I would say something else about what I would tell my boys when that happened, but, you know, just let, let your fingers burn off. I don't care, you know, but I, I didn't do that really. Uh, <laughs> but we also need to see that, 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 we, that, that redemption is the pardoning of sin. We need to realize that it only takes one sin to be guilty in God's eyes. And I'm not just talking about us actively committing a sin. If it, The Bible tells us we were born with a sin nature because our first father, our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, sinned. And if you could develop a microscope where you could look at the human body and see, a, a, if you will, a spiritual gene, you would see a gene in there for sin. And that gene was passed down from our first mother and father, Adam and Eve. So, you know, we could think, well, well, the, the person that, that never heard the gospel before, how could, you know, how could they be sinned? They, they still had that same sin nature. You know, we can even read in the book of Romans, and I won't get into that today, but the book of Romans is very clear that God reveals Himself to everybody. But it's just a matter of, of over the years, well, over the years as we live, if, if we're not presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do not pursue, uh, 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 we do not make a, a, a truthful pursuit of God on our own. The Bible tells us that, that, we, that we, we, we turn to, 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 to rocks and sticks and, and we create, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, we create myths. Well, this is how this came into being and this is how that came into being and this is what God is like and that's what God is like. But folks, we need to remember that when, when, when we create God in our own image, He's not a very big God. You guys, I, I say this all the time, you know me long enough, I've got a very vivid imagination. But you know what? Even with a real vivid imagination, the God that I come up with is still finite. So the Bible tells us that, that we're all, we've all sinned and, and we're, we're, uh, if you will, that, that redemption is, is the payment, the pardon for sin. God's justice demands a price to be, uh, to, to be released from sin. God's justice demands that, that, that there be a sentence carried out for the pardon of... Well, the, the, I'm stammering all over myself this morning, aren't I? God's justice demands that a price be paid for sin that a price be even paid for, to be released from sin. Or something has to be paid to be pardoned for our sin or to be pardoned for crimes. Because God's justice, if, if God all of a sudden said, well, you know what, I'm just going to forget it. You know, well, John, all these other folks from Adam all the way up, I've said that, that it, there's only one way that they can be pardoned for sin and that that way satisfies my justice. But if all of a sudden God says, but, but John, I'm not going to hold you to that. I'm just going to say you can go scot-free without any payment, without anything. Then that makes God out to be a liar. Also makes Him out not to be God because the Bible tells us that God does not change. But if He has one set of standards for one folks and another set of standards for another folks, another set of folks, He can't, he can't be consistent. And if, if you're not consistent, you're a liar. And my Bible tells me that God cannot lie. So God's justice demands a price to be paid. 
Death, a price to be paid for sin, and death is the price that's to be paid for sin. The only way we can avoid that, that death is, again, is to be pardoned. That pardon is what we mean when we talk about redemption. Well, who needs to be redeemed? Who needs redemption? Bottom line is we all do. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And again, that doesn't mean just doing something physically, doing something outwardly. That, that means our thought life, our, our, our speech life, and our behavior. There's not a single one of us that if we were truthful with ourselves can say we've never sinned. There's not one of us that if we're truthful with ourselves that can say when that opportunity to sin came that God didn't present us with a choice, although that choice might have been harder, there might have been some harsh consequences to it, but still we could have chosen a different path and not sinned, but yet we chose to sin because either it was the most pleasurable or it was the path of least resistance at the time. Who needs redemption? We all do. The wages of all have sinned. The wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23 tells us. And back in Ezekiel, way back in the Old Testament, it says that the soul that sins will die. God, even further back than that, told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the, 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 the tree of... of uh, I'm going to get them mixed up now. It was the tree of knowledge, right? Not good and evil, but the tree of knowledge. You're going to die. And we see that right off the bat... As soon as they did it, they did die. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. They began to die physically because right at that moment, their bodies began to age. Keep in mind, there's two types of death. One is physical death. When our bodies cease to function, cease to exist, then, that, then there's that spiritual death that means separation from God for all eternity in hell. So we need to see that we're, that, that we're in need of redemption, that we're guilty of having, a, of having sin, of having a, a sinful nature. And folks, we need to also realize we're not only guilty of sin, the Bible tells us that we're enslaved to it. We're enslaved to a sinful nature which separates us from God because a holy, just, perfect God cannot have fellowship with sin. And you may be a Christian here today and say, well, you know what, Pastor? I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and I, and I know for a fact I'm committing this sin right now and God hasn't done anything to me. Well, one of two things are going on. Either God's waiting, He just hasn't chosen to, to discipline you yet, or the bottom line is, no matter how many times you walk in aisle, say a prayer, sign a membership card, or sing just as I am, or pray the sinner's prayer, you weren't saved to begin with. Because as a Christian, if you sin, you're going to be convicted of it. Well, God's blessed me with all these things. Again, how do you know that's God blessing you? You know, it could just be the law, you know... Though it's a biblical law, it's, it's, if you will, it's a secular law too. You sow what you reap. You work hard. You, you get money. You can buy things. I say it all the time. There, there are all kinds of, of athletes, movie stars, singers, drug dealers, pimps that have got everything money could buy, but I doubt there's a single one of us that would say, man, look what God blessed him with. Or look what God blessed her with. Because we know it didn't come from God. It's just a normal, if you will, law of you, you, you reap what you sow. 
That's in the short term, if you will, because in the long term, what you reap, what you sow is going to come back to bite you if you live your life outside of Jesus Christ because the Bible tells us one day we're going to have to stand in front of a holy God and, and give an account of what, ourself, of, of what we did. Give an account of ourselves. And if we sowed seeds our entire life of not wanting anything to do with God, not do, wanting anything to do with Jesus Christ, not wanting anything to do with the church, and then we stand in front of God one day, guess what that harvest is going to be? Well, Johnny, what's behind door number three? Hey, you've got an eternity in hell. They sowed the seeds of not wanting anything to do with God, and what they reaped for a harvest was an eternity in hell. And we talked about hell for several weeks a while back. There's only one way somebody could be released from this judgment, this punishment that God will give out one day for sin. There's only one way that God's justice could be satisfied, yet we could be purchased and pardoned. And that one way is through redemption. Well, how do we get redemption? We need a redeemer. As simple as that. How do we get redemption? Well, we need a redeemer to get redemption. In verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is given by God's grace through our Redeemer, His Son, Jesus Christ. In eternity past, way in eternity past, God knew He was going to create the earth. He knew He was going to plant Adam and Eve there. He knew Adam and Eve were going to sin right off the bat. It wasn't Adam's going to the garden and God sees, uh, sees Eve... Well, sees Eve going to the garden. He sees Eve pluck the fruit and bite it and it, God didn't go, uh-oh, I hadn't planned for this. God knew from eternity past what was going to happen. And in eternity past, He had the way made for us to be reconciled, for us to be redeemed to Him through the work that His Son was going to do on the cross, Jesus Christ. Redemption is given by God's grace through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Man, how many, how many secular, not secular, contemporary Christian songs have been out late, uh, the past few years? I know my Redeemer lives. Uh, there's a southern gospel song, I Am Redeemed. Uh, Sidewalk Prophets now have got, got a song about, about redemption. I Am Redeemed. That old, that great hymn, I Will Sing of My Redeemer. We get redemption through a Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Well, what did it cost Jesus to be our Redeemer? We see it again there in verse 7. Through His blood. It took the death of Jesus to satisfy God's demand for justice. Remember the Bible said that the soul that sins must die. What is that? For God to be true, for God's justice to be satisfied, for God's wrath, if you will, to, 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 to be placated, something had to die. And if you remember in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, we see sacrifices. We see animals that were sacrificed all, you know, uh, during the time of Adam and Eve. You know, even, even back to Adam and Eve, how did they get the garments to wear that God put on them? An animal had to die. And that was symbolic of the fact that something had to die to cover the sins of mankind. 
We see the sacrifices all through the Old Testament in the tabernacle and then in the, te in the temple. But what we need to realize is that those sacrifices, if you were, were an IOU for the ultimate sacrifice to come. The, the only sacrifice that, that was worth anything. All the sacrifices up to them were IOUs, but if you will, the sacrifice of Jesus, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not trying to be crass, but that, that was the money in the bank that covered all these other IOUs. And the reason it was Jesus is, 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 is two reasons. Number one, the Bible tells us like has to die for like. If it's a man that sinned, then a man has to be traded for the pardon of mankind. But yet the Bible also tells us, because if you remember about those sacrifices, it was always the first. It was always, uh, uh, the, the, the sacrifice had to be without blemish. In other words, the animal couldn't be deformed. It had to be as pure uh, to the breed, if you will, as they could possibly see. That was, that was symbolic of sinlessness. Jesus met the requirements of like having to die for like and being a man, but yet He also met the requirements of being sinless because He was God. Because the sacrifice not only had to be like, but the sacrifice had to be pure and without blemish, without sin. And Jesus Christ is the only one, the only, if you will, the only 200% being that has ever lived. He was 100% God, but at the same time, He was 100% man. And so Jesus is the only one that could play, uh, take the part or, or play the part of our Redeemer. God's justice had to be satisfied for God to be a holy, truthful God. And that was satisfied with Jesus Christ going to the cross. And you know what? Sometimes we say, well, I don't understand that, or, or, or that doesn't seem like it's fair, or you know, all, these, all these other things. And you know what I've learned as, 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 as I've grown in my faith? Number one, life ain't fair. You know, Number two... The one who makes everything is the one who makes the rules. And we might not understand it, but God has made the rules. He set the rules. He's looking from a heavenly, eternal perspective. We're looking from a temporal, earthly, short-term perspective. And so we may not understand, but that's where, that's where faith comes in. You know... And because we can't prove that, if you will, spiritually, I believe Jesus' life and death and resurrection can all be proved historically with the documents out there. But to prove it spiritually, we can't. We might not understand all of it, but we've got to take it on faith. Jesus told Nicodemus, you, see, you, 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 you feel the wind, you hear the wind, you feel it, I'm paraphrasing, blowing through your hair, but you don't know where it comes from. Same thing is true with a lot of the ways of God. We might not understand why it had to be that way. In one sense we can, but in another sense we can't fully comprehend God. But those are the things we've got to take on faith. We might not understand it, but we've got to trust God. You've heard me say before, I don't understand how I can flip a switch and electricity is going to go through this building and turn these lights on, but I don't go home and sit in the dark. I go home and I turn the light on. It's an act of faith. I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give white milk, but you know what? I don't not drink milk because of that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for a glass of cold milk. And I guzzle it down. It, it's so many things have to come on faith. Redemption, though, we can, we can, if you will, break it down like I'm talking about. Sometimes, well, ultimately, it has to come down to faith. 
Because we all often think, you know what, I wouldn't have done it like that. I know as a younger Christian, I used to think, you know what, if I was Jesus and I was on that cross, I'd have come down at least for a second just to prove to all of them that, that I was who I claimed to be. But you know, I learned as I, as I grew as a Christian, as I matured in my faith, that really that would have defeated the whole purpose. And you know what? A whole lot of them wouldn't have made a bit of difference. They had all the proof they needed. The religious leaders that followed Jesus had all the proof they needed. They saw the miracles. They saw the water turn to wine. They saw the blind see. They saw the lame walk. They saw the deaf hear. They saw the mute talk. They saw Lazarus risen from the grave. But yet, they chose to reject redemption because they didn't think it should be like that. They thought redemption should come in another way, in another form. It cost Jesus His life. It cost Him His blood to be our Redeemer. And because He was our Redeemer, God was able to give mercy. And I talked about these three things a little bit last week. Mercy, justice, and grace. Because God's justice was served by Christ's sacrifice, somebody got what they deserved, God was able to give mercy and not giving us what we deserve, death. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But also because of the redemption, our redemption through Christ, God was able to give us what we didn't deserve, grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't, don't deserve. Jesus took our guilt. Jesus took our death. He took the death we deserved. And in doing that, He redeemed, He purchased, He freed us. His blood paid the redemption price. We were purchased from the slavery of sin. I'm sorry, yeah. We were purchased from the slavery of sin and set free to be God's children. That leads to one final question about redemption. Pastor, how do you know that Jesus Christ was and is the Redeemer? Real simple answer. He was crucified on a Friday. And if you read a few verses down in whatever, whatever one of the Gospels you read about it, He was crucified on a Friday. But guess what? A few days later, you read down, they go to the grave and nobody was in the tomb. We know that Christ was the accepted sacrifice. We know that Jesus was the Redeemer because God resurrected Him and brought Him back to life. If Jesus Christ were not the Redeemer, that grave would still be full and we'd still be dead in our sins. That's how we know Jesus is the Redeemer. Muhammad might have been a, 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 a great teacher as far as Islam goes, but guess what? He didn't redeem him. If you could find his tomb, he's still dead and buried in the grave. Buddha said, the, 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 what I've taught all my life, I myself have not been able to achieve. He didn't redeem anybody. If he could find his grave, he'd still be in the tomb. Confucius said, I've got an eightfold path to, to show you how to get to heaven. He didn't say, I'm going to redeem you. He said, I'm going to show you how to get there. Well, he died, never told anybody else really if he was successful or not. If you could find his grave, he's still there. But you could go to Jerusalem today, just outside the city, just outside the, the, the place called Golgotha, and you can go to a little tomb. And this is one of the few places over there that, that I, and this is just my opinion, that I believe is, is accurate. There's a lot of places over there where it's kind of conjecture. Is this the real place or is it not? But to me, it makes sense in, in, my, my, in my mind because 
this place, as far back as they can remember, was always, a, if you will, a garden cemetery. Just outside of Golgotha. And if you could go there today, and I got to go there several years ago, there's a huge stone that has been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. And you can go into that tomb. And you could look at the, the, the stone table, I guess, if you will, that was carved out to lay dead bodies on. And if you could go in there and you could look at that table, guess what? There's nothing on there. It's not because anybody stole him. It's not because he swooned and got enough energy after he regained consciousness to roll the stone away. It's not because he took off to Italy uh, with, with, uh, with, with uh, Mary Magdalene. It's because God rose him from the grave. He walked among his disciples for some 40 days. And then at that 40-day period, on the day of Pentecost, God took him back up to heaven. And he sits at heaven, at the right side of God in heaven right now. For those of us that know Christ, He has already redeemed us. But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, He wants to be your Redeemer. Yes, He did the work some 2,000 years ago, but that work hasn't applied to you yet because you've not accepted that sacrifice He made. God wants you to, to, to accept redemption in Jesus Christ. Well, what are the results? Moving on, what are the results of redemption? There, there's at least two things here. I'm going to share both of them, but I'm only going to talk about one. Verse 7, it says, one thing we receive is the forgiveness of sins. But in verse 8, it says, which He made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Wisdom or insight. At least two things were accomplished in redemption. Number one, the forgiveness of our sins. And secondly, wisdom and insight. Those are the things. Wisdom isn't what I'm going to talk about today because I'd be here for a, a whole other message. But wisdom God gives us when we come to know Jesus Christ in that we can, we can begin to understand the Scripture. We can begin to understand what thus saith the Lord means. God gives us insight and, and, and discernment, I'm sorry, discernment into what is accurate and to what isn't as far as God's Word goes. But the big thing He gave us is forgiveness in verse 7. The forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, two goats were used uh, in, in, in a sacrificial ritual. One of the goats was slain, the blood was drained, and the blood was offered to God. That was a sacrifice to pay for the sin debt of the people. But there was one other goat. And what they would do is that the high priest would put his hand on that goat and symbolically through prayer, the sin debt's been paid, but what he did was symbolically through prayer lay the sins of the, that, that past year for the entire nation of Israel on that goat. That's where we, got the word, where we get the word scapegoat from. They would take that goat out of the camp and, and take him far enough away where there was no way that the goat could ever find his way back to the camp and then they turned him loose. A blood sacrifice was given. The sin was paid for, but the sin was also put away. It was forgotten. And that's one of the, one of the results of redemption. Our sin has been forgiven... But not only has it been forgiven, 
It's been cast far away. The Bible tells us our sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. The Bible tells us our sin was cast into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up by God again. And what they're saying there is, is if Satan, you know, Satan still has access to God. And if Satan could talk to God, one, and he probably has. Look at that John Hodgin down there. He's a preacher. He's a preacher, but I know what he used to do before he, was a, before he became a preacher. Matter of fact, Lord, I know what he does today when he's not at the church. You need to, you, you need to do something about him. And God says, well, let me, let me get the books out here. What does the book say? God looks at the book and he says, Satan, that's, fun. that's funny. I don't see John Hodgins' name written down here anywhere. And it's not because John Hodgins was a good person. It's not because John Hodgins was a preacher. It's not because John Hodgins' mama loved him. It's not because he gave a lot of money to charity or helped a lot of little old ladies across the street or had religion. It's because when God looks at that page, though that page is blank and white, at one time it was covered crimson red by the blood of Jesus Christ and my sin was washed away. Not only was it washed away, it was thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. And I want to make that point here for some of us because some of us don't feel the liberty and freedom we need in Christ because we still dwell on sins we have committed before we became a Christian. And even though we said the prayer, we walked the aisle, we truly gave our life to Christ, we allow Satan to say, you know what, you're not really saved. What you did was too bad for God to ever forgive. But folks, we can't base our relationship with God on our feelings. We've got to base our relationship with God on this book. And remember what I was telling you a couple of weeks ago, my old weapons officer, and we'd ask him a question. He'd always go, well, what's the book say? Well, we might not feel like we're saved because we still carry around guilt we don't give up on our own. But if we look at the book, again, the book says our sins were paid for by Jesus. That if we turn from our sin, our old life, and we turn to Christ, doesn't matter what you did, who you did it with, how long you did it, you're, you're, that sin was forgiven. God's forgotten it. We need to forget it. Being cast as far as the east is from the west. How far can you go east and then start going west? Anybody? You can't. How far can you go west and then all of a sudden you start going east? You can't. You can, if you're going east, you can, if you're looking forward, you can never see west. And folks, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've been saved and you're looking forward, you're looking towards God, you're looking towards heaven, guess what? You can't see what you've done back there. And it's not because you're not turning your head, it's because God has forgiven it. And if God doesn't hold it against you, Satan can't hold it against you. Your friends, your peers can't hold it against you, and you certainly can't hold it against yourself. And maybe for some of us here today, it's not a, ma it's not a matter of salvation, but it's a matter of, of, of allowing yourself to forgive yourself and allowing yourself to give up the guilt that you have continued to carry over the years, although God forgave you years, maybe years ago. Maybe redemption, in a sense, for, for some of us here today, is redemption. I'm, I'm, 
I'm claiming everything Jesus has got to give me today. Part of what I haven't claimed that He gave me is me forgiving myself because Jesus forgave me. It's for me putting my past in the past. We may have consequences, if you will, that like earthly consequences from, from some of the things we've done before. You know, you could be a drug addict all your life and come to Jesus Christ and Christ saves you, but guess what? You could still have brain damage. You could have been an alcoholic all your life and then come to Jesus and quit your alcohol, but guess what? You still may have cirrhosis of the liver. You may have been promiscuous before you came to Christ. You came to Christ and you got saved, but you, you still may have to deal with the consequences of, of some kind of disease or you may have to deal with the consequences of, of, of children. But that doesn't mean you're not forgiven. That means that there are earthly consequences for, for our sin. But God doesn't want you to feel guilty about even that because He's, he's forgiven you. I hope I'm making sense. I kind of feel like I took a real 180 degree turn, but I, for, for some, I, I, I just feel like God's impressing on me to, to, to make that known to folks today. Because of what Christ did, because He's our Redeemer, because He's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, we don't have to feel guilty about... We can be sorrowful for what we've done in the past, but we don't have to feel guilty about the past anymore because God has declared us not guilty of sin in Jesus Christ. Justification. We've been justified. We've been redeemed. We've been justified. Good definition of justification. Just as if I've never sinned. He's given us forgiveness of sins. How did He give us forgiveness of His sins? And I promise, I promise I'm finishing up. I say that all the time, don't I? He gave us forgiveness of sins, according to verse 7, according to the riches of His grace. He forgave us out of the riches of His grace. Not out of His grace. He didn't save us out of His grace. He saved us according to the rich, riches of His grace. And I really don't know how to explain that with a definition, but, but let, me, let me give you an example. If a multimillionaire gives a charity $25, he gives it out of his riches. Okay, yeah, I've got some spare change. Here you go. But if that same multimillionaire gives that charity a check for $25,000, he's not giving it out of his riches. He's giving it according to his riches. Hey, I've got a lot, and so I'm going to give a lot. And that's what God does for us when He saved us. Out of the riches of His grace... I'm a God of infinite grace. And out of His infinite grace, He gives us grace. And He doesn't give us just a little bit of it. He gives us all of it. He giveth more grace, as the old hymn says. He gives grace. He gives for, and, and, and through the redemption through Christ, He gives forgiveness. And I want us to remember in closing here, forgiveness, God's forgiveness is undeserved. There's not a single one of us that deserve God's grace and God's forgiveness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. It's given to us. God's undeserved forgiveness, God's undeserved grace is given to us as we were redeemed by the blood and the death of Jesus Christ. Now there was 
Redemptive forgiveness, which is a one-time thing. We, get, we turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus. Redemptive forgiveness is a one-time thing, but we need daily a cleansing forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we, sin, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. We can't earn it. It's given to us. What is redemption? It's the paying of a, a sin debt to gain pardon, to gain relief from sin's bondage and to, and to put sin away, send sin away. Who needs redemption? We do. Who's the only Redeemer? Jesus Christ. And what are the results of, of redemption? Wisdom and insight into God's Word, but most importantly, forgiveness of sins. Have you been redeemed this morning? Have you allowed the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made some 2,000 years on the cross, for lack of a better term, work for you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've turned to God and, and you said, Lord, I, I, I understand the work Jesus did on the cross, and I understand why He did it. He did it because I'm a sinner. And today I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from my old life, and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm asking Him to forgive me. I'm asking Him to become my Lord and Savior. And, and I'm telling you that as best I can, I'm going to love Him and follow Him for the rest of my life. And it's made a change, some kind of change. It might be little, might be big, but we're all works in progress. Because if you've never said something like that to God... Or if you have not changed. If anyone be in Christ is a new creation, behold, old, old, old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you've never said that prayer, if you've never, I hate, I don't like using that term, saying the prayer. If you've not accepted Christ and there's not been a change, then according to the Bible, you've not been saved. You might be here this morning. Well, Pastor, I know you kind of hemmed and hawed and stammered and started over some of the things there, but I, I, I get what you were talking about today. And uh, today I want to claim the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. I want, to, I want to become a Christian. I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to turn from my old life and turn to Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer. And as I say every Sunday, keep in mind the prayer is not what saves you. The, the prayer is not what redeems you. Jesus is the one that redeems you. The prayer is just the words you, that you're vocalizing either out loud or in your heart to, to tell God what you want to do right now. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's your desire this morning to come to know Jesus, just say this prayer with me.